Welcome back, fight fans, to episode number 204A of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, the host with the most. And today we're going to talk about Jaime Munguia and Joe Smith, Joe Smith Jr. scoring uh, wins, dominant wins, last week. And even though one idiot judge disagreed, we're also going to talk about some political stuff, sex, race, transgender issues as it relates to the world of women's boxing so it's going to be a loaded one guys all right get your popcorn ready crack a brew it's going to be fun uh also as always i have to ask you guys the best thing you could do to help me out is spread the word about the show this is tnc 204a for the week of january 18th need you guys to get over to itunes leave a rating a review same thing with spreaker get over there and make sure that you guys are following us spread the word about the show spread it on your social all right post it out there on your social tag me in it if you'd like i'll give you guys a retweet and give your twitter or facebook or whatever profile it is a plug all right tiffany lamb the wonderful, beautiful, talented Tiffany Lamb is logged on live from Los Angeles. She had to fly back to L.A. this week for some business. So she's watching live, logged in from L.A. So we got the East Coast, West Coast connection thing going right now. So if you guys got any uh, questions for Tiff, she's on the YouTube chat. All right, so real quick, some uh, some news items. And then we're going to get into what's going on uh, in the world of boxing. We're going to review what happened last week and get into some political stuff. So, yay, politics. All right, um, I told you guys the World Boxing Super Series Cruiserweight Finale, the Season 2 Tournament Finale, would be coming up in the first quarter this year. Did I lie? No. It's been confirmed. March 21st, Riga, Latvia. Marius Bradys, Uniel Dortikos, going to fight each other. And of course, uh, Bredius is from right there in Riga, Latvia. So he's definitely got an advantage in that one. I'm looking forward to that matchup. That is a solid, solid fight, man. Do not sleep on the cruiserweights, guys. Both of those fighters are very proven. Dortikos got some dynamite in those hands. Uh, Bredius has proven he's kind of a tough, rugged, somewhat dirty guy. I think we're going to have a good fight there. Also, Ray Vargas, 122-pound WBC titleist, is set to sign with Al Heyman's premier boxing champions. So he won the WBC Super Bantamweight title in 2017. He's defended it five times, but it's been a relatively lackluster run. And there's been no unification fights, which has been really disappointing, in my opinion. He's going to sign with PBC. I just don't know who he's going to fight that anyone's really going to get get excited for as part of this signing. Brandon Figueroa, eh, that doesn't really excite me. An old Guillermo Rigondeau, that's kind of interesting. But Daniel Roman, who fights on the zone, that would have been great to see Vargas and Roman. And Roman has a, a tough fight coming up that he's got to take care of. But I really wish those two guys could have fought because they were on the same side of the street in terms of networks, that fight should have happened. It just never happened. Uh, Emmanuel Navarrete, of course, is with top rank and fights on ESPN. That would be an awesome fight between Vargas and Navarrete. I doubt that happens. Uh, Scott Brown in the chat is mentioning Luis Neri. Yeah, if Luis Neri can make 122 pounds, who the hell knows? He's had issues making 118. He's moving up to 22. Is he going to – people at PBC have mentioned before, and even Mauricio Suleiman at the WBC has mentioned before that – he might move up to all the way up to 126. But, yeah, if we get Ray Vargas and Luis Neri, sign me up for that. I'd love to see that. That would be awesome. 
All right, guys, let's get into what took place last weekend. So Friday, January 10th, Salida Promotions put on a card at uh, the Ocean Resort Casino in Atlantic City. This was on a special edition of Showbox. And on the undercard, we had an entertaining female fight, an upset special uh, fighter out of Sweden, Aline Sidorus. Sidorus, I'm probably butchering that name. I'm sorry. Improved to 8-0 with four knockouts. She was the naturally bigger, stronger fighter, and that showed she had fought at heavier weights. And she just she scores a unanimous decision win over Alicia Napoleon Espinosa, who was moving up in weight, I think. I think even though she had titles, because I think these uh, were for two super middleweight titles, two of the super middleweight titles that Clarissa Shields vacated, because that's where she started her title run. Uh, but Espinosa, I think, started lower down the weight scale and moved up in weight. So anyway, the Swedish fighter scores the minor upset win here. And that kind of upset the plans because the plan that the promotion wanted was to put Clarissa Shields against Espinosa next. That ain't going to happen now. In fact, you're very likely going to get a rematch of these two, the Swedish fighter and the American fighter. So a good quality female fight there. And then Jerron Boots Ennis improved to 25-0, and 23 Knockouts with a TKO4 win over Bakhtiar Iubov. And these, of course, were welterweights, but it looked like a welterweight against a featherweight in there. The size difference was massive. So I tweeted about this. It really didn't prove a lot. This fight really didn't prove a lot at all for Ennis. Uh, We didn't see anything in this fight that we didn't already know about him, right? But he got some exposure. He... uh, I see, yeah, Azier is saying bad stoppage. I, I The stoppage was a bit premature, but I didn't mind it. Iubov was just in there taking a one-sided beating. There is no point for this fight to continue. There is honestly no point for the fight to ever be made. So Iubov is now 0-2-1 in his last three. So, again, good performance from Ennis. He did what he was supposed to do. He dominated every second of this fight. I want to see him step it up a bit now. I think he's going to have a breakout 2020. He's going to fight at least three times this year. Billy Falco in the chat saying Ennis needs to step it up a bit. He's going to be just fine. I completely agree, Billy. I'm I'm big on Jerron Ennis. I think that he could, he might be the best prospect in boxing right now. He's certainly up there with the top guys. Okay. Um, last year, my prospect of the year was Virgil Ortiz Jr. I don't consider him a prospect anymore. He's now a contender. He's graduated to contenderness, contendership. Uh, if those, if that's even a word. Jerron Ennis is still a prospect. Want to see him step it up quite a bit, but he'll get there. He's going to have a good year. So let's talk about the main event. Clarissa Shields scores a unanimous decision over Ivana Habasin. That's exactly what this fight was designed to be. Nobody was surprised there. Wins two vacant 154 or junior middleweight titles and actually scored her first career knockdown in this fight. I want to say is the second round, maybe the fourth round. She dropped Habasin um, and she was excited. You could see she, it was almost like when Pauli Malignaggi occasionally scored a knockdown. He'd just jump up and down. Holy shit, I dropped him. That's kind of the, the reaction you saw from Clarissa Shields. Uh, let's talk about Habazim. These two had a history because earlier this year, Clarissa Shields' brother beat the shit out of Habazim's elderly trainer uh, who's still having medical issues because of that. Uh, 
somehow, some way, Clarissa Shields went on social media after that assault, that violent assault that played out in front of media members, the very few media members who were actually there for that weigh-in, for when their original fight was scheduled to happen. She goes on social media and says, this fight should still happen. Uh, she, how does Indian even have to make weight? But, and she just, it's just a bizarre kind of ranting video. I don't know if it was Snapchat or Instagram, whatever it was. It was not the first time Clarissa Shields had done something like that and, um, won't be the last time I don't think. So, um, that really, really bothered a lot of people. I didn't give a shit. I really couldn't carry the way, but there are a lot of fans out there that were really turned off by this. You would think with all the buildup and history, these two fighters had that this fight would have done Clarissa Shields best rating. Not so, uh, two, 255,000 was the peak audience. I believe on the Showbox uh, broadcast of that fight, which was less than Clarissa Shields fight against, uh, Christina Hammer. And that fight was less than the previous headliner Clarissa Shields had had on Showtime. So her last three headliner fights are trending down. It's it, When you have one-off, a one-off here or there, it's not necessarily a trend. But when you have a chain, a linked chain of events and sequences, there's a trend there. And Clarissa Shields' ratings are trending down, even though her accomplishments are increasing and she's she's accomplishing more in the sport more about that in a second so um back to habasin real quick habasin is a career welterweight she had no business you know fighting shields at 154 shields remember started at 168 she's a big strong physical girl you could see that in the ring this kind of looked like the ennis uh fight just the size and strength difference was so evident it's amazing that Habazine was able to go the distance with her. Shields really just does not hit very hard and turn over on her punches. So uh, five, no, six years ago, Habazine fought Cecilia Brekus at her natural weight at welterweight and was shut out. Ten rounds to zero. Ten rounds to zip, shut out six years ago by Cecilia Brekus. And here we go, early 2020, six years after that, right? Because that was 2014. Early 2020, Steps up in weight, does get dropped, but goes the distance. Um, just it's a good win for Clarissa Shields, and it's a big accomplishment because two world titles were on the line, but they were vacant titles against a fighter that wasn't really rated as an elite level junior middleweight. You know what I'm saying? So, so you have to keep that into perspective. You have to keep this win and what it is and what it is not. In perspective, in fact, Clarissa Shields has won eight world titles in, I think, nine or ten professional fights that she's had. I think nine professional fights. That's a hell of an accomplishment. And I, I did a rant video earlier today talking about the fact that she's in the discussion as one of the most accomplished female fighters of all time already. In terms of hardware, where you've got Olympic gold medals and all these different world titles in three different divisions, you can make the argument right now that she's the most accomplished female fighter ever in terms of hardware, okay? I'm not necessarily saying I agree or disagree with that. I'm just putting it out there. She is in the discussion. Unfortunately, Showtime tried to include her in the discussion with the best male fighters in the world right now and some of the best male fighters of all time, which was an asinine thing for Showtime to do. And it's... Uh, counterproductive to what they're trying to accomplish with Clarissa Shields. 
they posted a graphic where they had the the quickest uh, the champions that got titles in three different di- divisions in the least amount of fights. And at the very top of them was Clarissa Shields, very top of the list, okay? Very, very disingenuous, deceiving graphic because she's above Vasily Lomachenko, which is ridiculous. And this isn't to take anything away from Clarissa Shields, but my argument is why not compare her to the other female fighters in the world? Why not compare her to Brekus, to Katie Taylor, to Michaela Mayer and, and, and all these other female fighters that are coming up the ranks? Uh, Sinise Estrada, right? Or the greatest female fighters from before, like uh, Mia St. John, Ann Wolf, Layla Ali, um, all, these, all these other former greats. Uh, Christy Martin, right? Let's compare Clarissa Shields to them. Because those are her true peers. I get it. Boxing's boxing. But we don't compare the best female tennis players to the best male tennis players. We don't compare the best female golfers to the best male golfers. We don't do that in volleyball, figure skating. There's a million other sports I could bring up. Swimming. We don't do that. But for some reason, the powers that be in boxing, specifically, not only, but specifically, mostly with Clarissa Shields, There's this need and this media push. There's this agenda to constantly push her and compare her to her male counterparts, which is stupid. It's just stupid. It's never going to work. It works for a very small, very vocally loud minority of people. Okay. The activist types, the woke types in the media, they do not represent the majority of opinion and they don't represent the majority of the marketplace. The bottom line is this. People are not watching Clarissa Shields' fights, at least not live. That's not what the numbers are saying, 255,000. By comparison, Gervonta Davis just fought Yoriokas Gamboa here in Atlanta, right, last month. We were ringside for that fight. Yoriokas Gamboa is beyond faded. He fought the entire fight on one foot. He, he blew out his Achilles heel in, in I think, the second round, right? Over 600,000 people tuned in to watch that fight. To watch, uh, to watch Davis fight a guy that most American boxing fans, casual fans, don't know who he is, right? And he certainly had no business being in the ring with Gervonta Davis at this stage. 600,000 plus showed up to watch that. Clarissa Shields going to, quote unquote, make history against this woman who she had all this personal beef and history with. The whole thing with the physical assault with the brother against Bashir and all that. And it didn't even crack. It barely cracked 250,000. So these activist woke people on Twitter, they're really, really loud, but they're not watching her fights. They sure as hell ain't flying across the country to buy tickets to attend her fights. These people who are the loudest on social media, they're often the quietest when it comes time to put their money where their mouth is. Funny how that shit works, right? I wanted to bring up something. I saw a few of you guys on the chat were talking about this, and I mentioned this on my rant video earlier today. Uh, So in the 154-pound division, where Clarissa Shields just won two vacant titles against a career welterweight, there are 52 licensed female fighters, not in America, on Earth, on the planet, 52 licensed female fighters. By comparison, there are over 1,700 licensed male fighters. Go up to 160 pounds. There are 34 licensed female fighters on earth compared to 1,400 men. At 168 pounds, it's 22 women. 
22 licensed ranked female boxers at 168 pounds on earth. Most of you watching this, your classrooms in high school were that big, okay? There are over 1,200 ranked men, licensed male fighters at 168. So comparing Clarissa Shields' accomplishments to male fighters, again, or any female fighter's accomplishments to male fighters right now is stupid. In fact, the only female fighters that I really think you could kind of compare to male fighters were Lucia Riker and Ann Wolfe. Because Ann Wolf especially knocked girls out. She had devastating power against other female fighters. So there was an excitement about her because of what you got. So you could actually make some comparisons with Ann Wolf to, to male fighters. You could actually start to have that conversation. But with Clarissa Shields, and I'm sorry, but even Cecilia Brekus and some of these other fighters – Extremely skilled. I think Breckhus and Katie Taylor are far more skilled than Clarissa Shields right now. Although Clarissa Shields has improved a lot, worked very hard to do so and deserves credit for that. She's just not at Breckhus or, or Taylor's level yet. But even those girls, you can't, you shouldn't. You're doing them a disservice by comparing them to male fighters. You're actually hurting the brand of women's boxing. If the agenda and the goal is to build women's boxing, compare them to each other, compare them to the other all-time great female fighters, build it up that way. That's what they do in tennis. It's what they do in volleyball and swimming and figure skating, soccer, all those other sports. Not that there aren't some political genders, things happening in those other sports in the media. It, It is part of an overall media agenda that we have right now. But again, That represents the minority of people in media. You know what I'm saying? Now, I've seen some people trying to say, well, a couple of Vasily Lomachenko's uh, titles were vacant. Well, again, you're comparing apples to oranges. And people that know better, particularly if you're a credentialed media member, you write for a reputable platform, or you represent a promotional company, or you work at a network a platform that broadcasts boxing, you shouldn't be saying stuff like that because it's disingenuous. The WBO title that was vacant at, in, at featherweight that Lomachenko fought for, that was against Gary Russell Jr., the guy who's the best featherweight in the world right now, years after Lomachenko beat him. That title was only vacant because Orlando Salido was stripped of the WBO title that he won, which I think was vacant, when, they, when he fought Lomachenko in only a second pro fight. He got stripped because of issues going on. So, and Loma wanted the rematch, but Salido knew he was going to get knocked out and embarrassed, and he wanted to be able to hang on to that thing, that that uh, badge of honor that he can say, I beat Loma, and no one else has. I get it. Turned down a career-high payday to avoid that rematch. But um, that's why that title was vacant. And it was against Gary Russell Jr. It wasn't against Ivana Habazin. No disrespect to Habazin, but again, career welterweight fighting up at 154 against a girl who started at 168, much bigger and physically stronger. That is not the same as Lomachenko in his third professional fight facing Gary Russell Jr., one of the most skilled fighters in boxing, the best featherweight in the world right now. Not the same thing. And anybody trying to conflate that, you're being disingenuous and fake and you are fraud and you should be called out for it. The other vacant title 
Lomachenko fought for was against, I think, Luke Campbell. I think the WBC lightweight title was vacant. Why is that? That's because Mikey Garcia wanted no part of Lomachenko and his management wanted no part of working with Bob Arum in top rank. So what did they do? They slipped him some ducats under the table moved him up two divisions, and used him to build Errol Spence's name. The same way they're going to do Leo Santa Cruz with Gervonta Davis later this year. You heard it here first. So you can't compare those two scenarios, okay? It's very easy to dupe casual boxing fans. It's very, very easy. But people that actually know what they're talking about, nuanced, educated, diehard fight fans, are not going to fall for that stuff, okay? So... All I'm trying to do is speak truth about this. Unfortunately, the the world that we live in now, those really, really vocal people that I talk about on Twitter, that I call them heroes, the heroes on Twitter, right? The woke brigade. They want to label guys like me one of the IST words. Just pick one. Misogynist, sexist, racist, all these other terms, right? I was called racist last week against Asians because I didn't say, I dared to say Manny Pacquiao was not the fighter of the decade, and he clearly lost to Floyd Mayweather. A bunch of Filipino commenters got on my video and said I was racist against Asians, completely unaware that my fiance is American Asian. I love how that works. It's great. But I'm I'm so used to it now, it just kind of bounces off me, and I just kind of laugh at it. Let me talk about one more thing related to Clarissa Shields, and then we're going to move on, okay? Ronda Rousey. The Ronda Rousey comparison. It's an extremely lazy, ignorant, easy comparison for people with agendas to make. And Clarissa herself has made it in certain interviews and posts. And a lot of her agenda-pushing... I don't know what you call it. Fan girls? Fan boys? Have said it too. Why was Ronda Rousey so popular and Clarissa Shields isn't as popular? It has to be because of race. It has to be because of racism, right? What a stupid, lazy, ignorant argument. I don't even have to go to MMA and talk about Ronda Rousey. I'll just mention this real quick. Ronda Rousey, she didn't knock girls out, but she submitted girls. She stopped girls. Her fights didn't go the distance. She was exciting. She had an engaging, endearing, dynamic personality that brought people in. It wasn't polarizing. Now, she became polarizing. Once she started to read her press clippings a little bit too much and became a media machine. Once she won the ESPN SB Awards, and then she was just a tool for the media and academia and the coastal elites to use to shove agendas down people's throats, then she did become polarized. Before that, during her rise and her buildup, she was open and endearing and fought in an exciting style. And I could continue, there's a million reasons why she became so popular. Demographics do play a role. Demographics play a role in all sports marketing, all forms of entertainment. And yes, they do. They did play a role with Ronda Rousey. But people often mistake race for racism. Race can be involved, and it doesn't have to mean racism. We can just keep this to boxing. And let's just talk about someone named Layla Ali. Layla Ali, many would agree, was a pretty famous female boxer. She had national endorsements during her career and after her career. She's still a a popular media figure. Last time I checked, she's black American, just like 
Clarissa Shields. Yes, it helps that her last name's Ali, that she, her father was Muhammad Ali. Of course that helps. But it also helps that Layla Ali isn't bad looking. She's a pretty attractive woman. Well-spoken, good on a mic, good on a camera, open, endearing personality, knows how to light up a room and make people like her. So it was a natural that she was going to get Subway commercials and these Maybelline or whatever, uh, cover girl, whatever makeup commercials she was doing and getting all these TV show appearances and stuff like that because of all the other factors I mentioned. Clarissa Shields could have that and then some. The media has tried. She's had all sorts of vignettes and stories about her on uh, several different networks, even networks that don't show boxing. I want to say she was on 60 Minutes or one of those kind of shows at one point. I can't remember which show it was. But she, she's had segments on all these types of shows. She's won all these awards and gotten all these accolades. And she's only been a professional fighter for a few years. Yet her ratings are going down. Okay, It's not because of her gender. It's not because of her race. It's because of her personality. It, it, it has nothing to do, and I'm not trying to put her down. She has said some polarizing things. She has taken some polarizing positions as it relates to certain things she's been involved in, in and out of the ring, her family members have been involved in, uh, and that alone has done the damage. But you couple that with the media agenda from the Woke Brigade on Twitter that does not win hearts and minds for what I call the silent majority. You take any political issue, I don't care what political issue or subject it is, there will always be two extremes on each side of the fence. And those two extremes represent the minority of opinion. You're talking about maybe 10% of the population, but they are the loudest 10%, right? So detractors and supporters, the most extreme detractors and supporters are the loudest people on Twitter, and they make it seem like that's the majority of opinion, when in actuality, the other 90% of people, you know what they do? They just tune the fuck out. They don't turn on Showbox to watch the fight. They really not tweet about it one way or the other. They're just not going to watch. They're not going to buy tickets. It's not because they're racist. It's not because they're sexist. It's not because they're unenlightened or you know need to get woke. It's because they're tuning out the political bullshit, the noise. Clarissa Shields' ratings were higher before because she was an anomaly. She was a story. Her story was sexually abused as a young person, comes from Flint. There's a lot of issues in that community. I I understand. I'm from Michigan. I understand the Flint situation well. Okay, I have family members, extended family members affected by all that. She came from all that. It's a story. The two Olympic medals, overcoming all this, right? The going for the gold and all this stuff. Okay, but after that story fades, you got to have substance. You got to build on that because everyone's heard the story now. Everyone knows. Everyone knows her story. They know about Flint. They know about the sexual abuse. They know about the bullying. They know about the, the Olympic medals and the world titles. Now what? You haven't built a brand. The story that you built, that you started with, which was awesome, that's not enough to keep people on board. You got to be exciting in the ring. You got to be engaging with your fans outside the ring, okay? You can't be a polarizing person 
that divides people and blames everyone else for, the, for why you're not succeeding. That's what's happened with Clarissa Shields. All right, let's move the hell on. I can't wait for the blowback I'm going to get for that one. Holy shit. Saturday, January 11th, top rank on ESPN at the Hard Rock in AC. Joe Smith Jr. scores a majority decision. Should have been unanimous. Against Jesse Hart, this, of course, was a light heavyweight fight. Uh, He dropped him in the seventh round. Somehow, Judge James Kinney had Hart up, winning the fight, 95-94, which with the knockdown means six rounds to four for Hart. Now, I've looked into James Kinney a little bit. This was probably the highest profile fight he scored, at least that I could see. I have no idea what the hell this man was watching. No idea, because this was not a difficult fight to score. How in the living hell do you give Jesse Hart more than one or two rounds? Even if your last name is Hart and you're from Philadelphia, you can't give Hart more than one or two rounds in that fight. And then there was the knockdown, okay? Uh, It was all he could do to stay on his feet in the last couple rounds. He was doing nothing but backing up in survival mode. Smith fought a very good fight. I was surprised. I favored Hart. I knew it would be competitive and close. I figured it would go the distance. But I slightly favored Jesse Hart just because he's looked better recently. He looked like dog shit in this fight. And I think uh, Smith's underrated athleticism and strength and power uh, bothered Hart. Clearly bothered him. And something, I don't know if he caught a shot or something early in that fight, and it just... It changed his viewpoint. He said, oh, shit, I'm laying back and playing safe. But somehow this judge scored the fight for Hart. Now, in the end, it doesn't matter. We have our first shit decision of 20, or first shit scorecard of 2020, not decision, because Smith won. And so I I went off on Twitter a little bit. And, of course, I had some people out there saying, um, you know, Mike, hey, the right guy won. The right guy won, right? That's always the argument with stuff like this. And I said, you know, this you same motherfuckers that are, that are saying, oh, the right guy won. And you're just like, come on, Mike, you're overreacting. You are the same people that are going to be throwing a fit and saying, I'm done with boxing. Five years from now, 10 years from now, when this guy pulls an Adelaide bird in the next generation's Canelo Golovkin. Because it'll happen. This dude is going to screw somebody out of millions of dollars, screw a family out of millions of dollars and rewrite the history of boxing for a year or so, the way things play out when he finally works his way up to a huge fight and screws somebody. Cause you can't, you can't mess up a fight that was this easy to score. You can't be this bad at your job and not do this again. He will do this again. Timestamp this video. So all of you out there saying, oh, it's no big deal. The right guy won. Relax. You're over-exaggerating. This is the dude that's going to screw somebody over years from now. Mark it. How do you think this happened with Adelaide Bird? There were decisions like this early on in her career, and it became part of a pattern. And people will defend Adelaide and say, oh, she gets it right most of the time. Well, look, if you had to get surgery, If you had to get open heart surgery, would you want to go to a surgeon that gets it right most of the time? Or would you want to go to the best damn surgeon in the world? Would you not want to pay double to go to the guy who's never gotten it wrong 
okay, or gotten it right 99.999% of the time. That's who I'm going to. I'm not going to the surgeon. Oh, 25% off. I get it right most of the time. Hey, we'll do your surgery in an hour or your pizza's free. I'm not going to that guy. I'm telling you right now, some of you dudes out there are going to be the same ones bitching and saying you're done with boxing when this guy fucks somebody. And I'm going to slap you in the fucking face when you do. Because right now, this is when you should be mad. If you're in New Jersey, that's the commission this fight was held in. Email the commission. They have a website. There's an email. Take five minutes of your time. Do a little bit of work. Google it. Email these people. Let them know how you feel before this guy shoves his dick up someone's ass in a few years and screws a career. Adelaide Bird, what she did to Gennady Golovkin a few years ago, right? With that first Canelo fight. If she wasn't there that night and a competent judge was and properly scored the fight for Golovkin, and he would have won only by majority decision, which still would have been a travesty. But if he gets that decision, majority decision, it doesn't matter if he loses the rematch. It rewrites boxing history. Here we are a couple years after that terrible decision from Bird. Canelo Alvarez is in the discussion for fighter of the decade, 2010 to 2019. He wasn't my choice, but he's in the discussion. Canelo Alvarez was winning fighter of the year awards. He wasn't my fighter of the year, but several publications had him as fighter of the year. Several publications have him as pound for pound number one in the sport. None of that happens without Adelaide Bird. Okay. We'd be having a different discussion about Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez right now. So this shit matters. And if you're not mad, you need to get mad. Moving on. Golden Boy Promotions on the zone from the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. Jaime Munguia scores a TKO 11 win over Gary Spike O'Sullivan in his middleweight debut. No surprise there. Nobody, nobody thought that uh, this was even going to be... Well, some of you thought it was going to be competitive. I don't know how or why. Uh, so Munguia improves to 35-0. and 0. The ref took a point for Munguia in the sixth round for a low blow. Spike was dropped in the 11th before ultimately the fight was stopped. Let me state for the record, I like Gary Spike O'Sullivan. He gives 100% every single time. That dude will give you everything he's got. But he has stepped up multiple times, and he is who he is. He lost to a prospect version of Billy Joe Saunders. He lost to Chris Eubank. He lost badly to David Lemieux. And I tweeted about that, and I'm not trying to make triangle theories, but there are levels to this. And you saw it didn't matter if Lemieux caught Spike cold early in that fight, which he did, and he knocked him out. Even if that fight went to distance, Lemieux was going to dominate. And then Golovkin dominated him. The point of my tweet, which I think most of you got, but some people out there took issue with, the point of that tweet is that there's levels to this game. And Gary Spike O'Sullivan is at a certain level. Nothing wrong with that. But he is who he is. All right? Mungia's best win. Let's talk about him for a second. His best win is probably Liam Smith. And I know his big knockout win over Saddam Ali was the really breakout performance for him that got him in a lot of people's minds. But Saddam Ali is really a welterweight who is lucky to fight a completely shot Miguel Cotto to get his title. Mugia and his people saw, they know what they had, and jumped right in there. Uh, Last second replacement and all that. Perfect situation. Okay. I still look at Mungia as a prospect. 
I, he had a title at 154. This is the era of prospects with titles. I don't look at Mungia as an elite level top fighter right now. That's not no disrespect to him. And I think some people took my tweets and everything as me dissing Mungia and being hard on him. I wasn't trying to do that. But there are a lot of people out there that talk about Mungia like he's an elite level top fighter right now. He's not. He's a prospect. He's still developing. Okay. So you just need to pump the brakes on Jaime Mungia because he'll be competitive because of his style and he'll be entertaining as hell against anybody. But right now I'd have to favor Charlo. Andrade, even this old version of Golovkin, Canelo, obviously. I'd have to favor all those guys to beat Mungia at this point. He's just not ready for that level of opposition. I remember a few years back when they were possibly considering Mungia as a last-second replacement for Golovkin. Ultimately, they went with uh, Vanez Martirosian. If they had picked Mungia, whew, we, be, we, we, we would be having a much different conversation about Jaime Mungia right now. Right. So the way boxing history formulates and comes together, it's just so interesting the way this stuff works out. People just need to pump the brakes. Also on this card, uh, undefeated prospects stayed perfect. Hector Tanahara Jr., a lightweight out of San Antonio, won. Travel Mazion, 154-pound fighter out of Austin. Uh, both got Ws. Uh, Mazion with a beautiful, devastating body shot, perfectly placed. It was awesome. Let's talk about this female fight. Because uh, we got some more wokeness to discuss. Okay, Alejandra Jimenez scores a split decision win over Franchon Q- Cruz Desern. Wins the other two super middleweight titles that I talked about. So there's four titles, right? And the Swedish fighter, Aline Sidirus, won two of the titles. Friday night, Jimenez won the other two. Saturday night. So the four titles that uh, Clarissa dumped now... Uh, belong to these two fighters. Okay, so uh, Cruz Desern had the titles coming in, and Jimenez took the titles off of her. Uh, this fight, it was kind of a freak show, and I don't mean it as any form of disrespect. I just mean some of the things that happened during the fight. Uh, it, it was almost similar in some ways to the Jacob Chavez Jacobs Chavez Jr. fight recently where there were just all kinds of crazy shit took place. And it's just boxing is such a theater of the unexpected. But uh, Cruz was wearing a weave. And at one point, her weave just blew off. It was like an episode of Jerry Springer. I got the weave. Her weave flew off. And in the, between rounds in the corner, uh, they were trying to put it on and taking it off her, her, her corner corner people. And one of the dudes was just like, do you want the weave or not? You know, at some point. I, I've just never seen that. I've never seen that shit in, in a boxing fight. Uh, Jimenez, who is from Mexico, was, uh, this was her first bout in the USA, spoke after the fight, obviously in a post-fight interview. And her appearance and voice was kind of shocking. It, it surprised, I, I, won't, I won't say shocking, I'll just say surprising, okay? And I'm not saying that trying to make fun of her or or be uh, insensitive or mean. Okay. So you guys can all calm down, but you can't tell me those of you who've seen the video that you were expecting that voice to come out of that face. Okay. It, it just didn't fit. And so I immediately tweeted after I saw it, a video of the interview. And I just asked Vada or no Vada. Cause I'm like, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, 
and and for the you guys know this because you because you've listened to the show. I question male fighters all the time if something don't look or sound right. Right? It, it, this isn't a sexist thing. There's been plenty of male fighters. I've been like, hold up, is that dude? Is that dude doing testing? Is that dude doing vada? So th- this wasn't me being sexist. If you hear a guy talk like this, you're gonna wonder. It it, it sounds weird, right? People made fun of Mike Tyson's voice. Because he was the baddest man on the planet. And he talked like this. He had this really, you know, he had a really light, lispy kind of voice. You were not expecting that to come out of him. So he was constantly made fun of. Male fighters, their appearance, their, um, sometimes it could be their voice. I mean, Keith Thurman has a lisp and people make fun of Keith Thurman's lisp, right? They call him Keith. I do that shit too. It's kind of fun. So there are plenty of male fighters that get made fun of because of their physical appearance or the sounds that they make or the things they say. So, of course, this woman, Alejandra Jimenez, was there was a lot of jokes made at her expense over the weekend uh, because of her physical appearance. She she's she doesn't look like a typical woman. She she I, I don't know how to say this in a sensitive way. She, she looks masculine. I'll put it that way. And she sounds very masculine, right? So there were a lot of people making jokes at her expense. And, and yes, did some of it go too far? Absolutely. I mean, some of the memes I saw and stuff went way too far. There were some Photoshopped memes uh, of, of a wiki page saying that she was born male. That's a fake meme. If you go to her wiki page, it doesn't say that. So there were some people taking liberties. I get it. But of course... The activist woke people and all this had to jump on. And I even got piled on because of my tweet uh, that, and had to say, oh, this is sexist. This is transphobic. This is blah, 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 blah. There were even people saying it was prejudice against Mexican fighters because people were making fun of this woman's voice. I mean, it was all over the place, right? Again, people need to have perspective. Male fighters get made fun of all the time. Those of you who follow me on Twitter, you know I have a ton of fun with Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. I have fun with Tyson Fury. I have fun with Billy Joe Saunders. I have fun with Adrian Broner. I have fun with Floyd Mayweather. We all do it. So if the boys can take it, why can't the ladies? So I think some of these woke activist people on social media are again being disingenuous. Now, I need to correct something. My tweet that I posted with that video where I said Vada or no Vada, I didn't, I was kind of making a joke. I was kind of putting it out there, but I I wasn't saying she didn't do Vada. I genuinely didn't know. And I was concerned when I heard that voice. She absolutely did do Vada. Both Cruz and Jimenez signed up for Vada testing. And it's my mistake and it's my fault for not checking that before I posted the tweet. So I own that. I had Memo Horadia from Mexico beating me up on social media, saying like, dude, what the hell is this, right? And I, I had an exchange with him, and I told him, dude, I corrected it. And I showed him the tweet uh, where I said they did VADA testing, right? Jake Donovan over at Boxing Scene, he got in my ass. Uh, David Avila, one of the most respected writers in SoCal, he got on me. Several people did. And I understand why. I get it, okay? I get it. I screwed up. But I have since corrected it. And I have sent multiple tweets. In fact, Vada tweeted on their Twitter profile, 
you know, these ladies are doing VADA testing. I retweeted that, okay? And I, I made sure to correct myself. And I thought about deleting my tweet. But then I thought, you know what? I'm going to leave this up because I'm going to own this, that I screwed up. And of course, my detractors are only focusing on that tweet. They're not focusing on the corrections, but that's what they're going to do. But I thought for now, I'm going to leave it. If I see too many people, because it, it didn't go viral, but it's, it's got thousands upon thousands of views, that video and that post. If it continues to uh, get attention and, and people keep responding to it, I'm probably going to end up deleting it. I wanted to leave it up now so you guys can go look at it and see what I'm talking about before I end up probably removing it. But yeah, I just had to say, look, for Alejandra Jimenez, um, people did make fun of her appearance and her voice and all that kind of stuff, myself included. I had a little fun. I think it's all in good fun and it's okay if you're being consistent across the board. And you guys know I troll a lot on Twitter and I bash the shit out of fighters and, and networks. How much fun have I had at ESPN and Tyson Fury's expense with this whole lineal garbage, right? I've been <laughs> pounding that into the ground all year, okay? So it, it, I'm pretty fair across the board. And some of the woke brigade, some of the cult of Clarissa, and now there's a cult of Alejandra, calm down. Relax. It's just a, some good old-fashioned fun. It'll be okay. These ladies are tough ladies. They can take it. And by the way, I got to say this. Alejandra Jimenez, I saw a picture of her girlfriend. She's doing all right for herself. That's what I'm going to say. She's, she's doing all right for herself. All right? All right, guys. Uh, let me get to the chat here. Let me see. If you guys got a few questions, uh, we'll look at those real quick. And then we're going to bounce out. We'll be back, of course, Thursday night. Uh, to preview what's coming up this weekend. All right. Come on, guys. Get these questions in here, man, or I'm going to jump off. We've been going here for about 45 minutes. Uh, DS Kennels 210 says, I know Garcia is a great trainer, but with so many fighters at this gym, what kind of guidance is a developing fighter really going to get? Better to go to a smaller gym. So I assume you're talking about, um, not Mikey Garcia, um, Robert Garcia. Why couldn't I think of his name? I assume you're talking about Robert Garcia. Uh, yeah, there's several trainers like that. But keep in mind that when you have a gym that's that populated, it basically kind of becomes a system, right? And so the younger guys that come in actually benefit from being a part of that system because they can see the top fighters, the experienced veteran fighters. And I actually think it does them some good. If you look at Ryan Garcia, since he's got with uh, Reynoso, I think he's improved. I think Oscar Valdez is going to improve. Just kind of getting in that system and being a part of it, I think is beneficial to those young guys. At some point, yeah, they'll want some more, uh, maybe hands-on attention. And as they move up the ratings, they'll get it. You know what I'm saying? But for young guys coming out of the amateurs and developing, I think it's a great thing to be around all that talent. Absolutely. All right. SE2934 says, Mike, what do you make of Triple G joining Snack? I love it. And guess what? I was one of those guys who said Gennady needed to get out of the mountains. Um, he needed to get back at sea level. And I took some heat for that. I got bashed by some people. It's not that I don't think uh, 
high altitude training is beneficial for some athletes and some fighters. I just don't know if Gennady at this stage of his career needs to be spending that much time up in the altitude. And eventually I was heard. I wasn't the only one saying this, by the way, but eventually guys on my team were heard. I think it's good for him. I think he's going to look much better when he fights the Polish kid in Chicago in March. That's what's probably going to take place next for Gennady. And we'll probably be there. So I'll see you guys there. Let's see. Uh, oh, great question from Carlos Cabrera. Thank you so much, my man. He asked about George Rincon. So I don't know if you guys saw this. George Rincon scored, I think it was like a first-round knockout, maybe first, second-round knockout, then had a seizure. He, he knocked the other guy out, and he had a seizure right there in the ring. I can't say I've ever seen that. We just keep seeing all this crazy shit. I think now with these platforms where uh, you're seeing the entire card broadcast, you're going to see more of these freak kind of incidents that you didn't see before when none of the undercard ever was broadcast. It was only one or two fights, right? Now you're getting 10, 12 fights broadcast. You're going to see more of this kind of stuff. I can't say I've ever seen that, but the way that he had a quick seizure and just kind of bounced up, I know if I had a seizure, I've never had one. But if I had one, I'd be looking around like, holy shit, what just happened, right? He just looked around and smiled like, ah, it's cool. He kind of waved around. It's no big deal. This, so I got the impression that this happens to him. And he must have some sort of medical condition or something was going on that he kind of knew about and his team and his corner knew about because they immediately knew how to react. Which does bring up the question, how the hell did he get sanctioned to fight which brings me to one word, Texas. <laughs> that commission is not exactly the most reputable commission in boxing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I did, They're getting more fights, though. Getting more fights out there. <laughs> Sarah says, epileptic KO artist. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, we got a super chat pledge from Lucas Nunez. Thank you so much, Lucas. I didn't even see that, man. I appreciate it. He says, most delusional fan base, Wilder or Shields? Ooh, you're just trying to get me in trouble, Lucas. <laughs> um, look, there are delusional fan bases all over the place in boxing, right? There's something I talk about all the time. But clearly, I think Clarissa Shields' fan base is more delusional. The bottom line with Deontay Wilder, first of all, he's a heavyweight. Second of all, he's exciting. Third of all, he knocks, you know, he knocks people out, right? And he has a big, big fight coming up in that rematch with Tyson Fury. So the media attention that he commands, um, it's night and day versus what Clarissa Shields does. In fact, I talked a little bit about Showtime ratings last year, uh, right? And the highest rated regular Showtime broadcast of the year was the one round fight between Deontay Wilder and Dominic Brazil. That fight wasn't even around. Right, but it still did the highest peak rating of any Showtime boxing broadcast in 2019. Imagine if that fight went five, six rounds; more people would have tuned in. The peak numbers would have went up. So you compare that to what Clarissa Shields is doing. Yeah, it's night and day. Now there are some delusional Deontay Wilder fans. I don't think him or any of the heavyweights right now belong anywhere near a pound for pound list. But uh, yes, there's delusional Deontay Wilder fans, but I think there's clearly more delusional. Shields fans. And it's not a knock on Shields. It's just the reality. It's just the reality. Um, what else? Oh, Boxing and Bulldogs asked, does Clarissa Shields have a fan base? Ouch! She does. She does have a fan base. 
<laughs> Billy Falco. <laughs> Billy Falco says, Mike, what happens when people have ragu in their pantry? Billy, those people get slapped. Those people get backhand slapped. If you got ragu or what's the other one? Uh, prego. The, the prego one pisses me off even more because for those of you who don't know, prego in Italiano significa it means you're welcome. So these pricks that are putting ketchup in a bottle and calling it tomato sauce, they're naming it you're welcome. You know what? I got to say to that. I can't say it here. Well, I've already said that on this episode. Fuck you. <laughs> Vafanculo. That's what it should be called. Vafanculo, which means fuck you. If it said that, yeah, that's what you should be saying to people who are about to eat that garbage. Carlos Cabrera with the super chat. Thank you, Carlos. I appreciate that. Uh, he says, just me or does Mungia jab, Mungia's jab have potential? Yes, it does. And he should use it more. Mungia's jab is something Eric Morales is working on with him, and it has gotten better. It absolutely has potential. And I think if Mungia straightened his punches, he throws a lot of looping shots, a lot of arm punches that set him up to be countered. And against someone like Charlo or so, he get eaten alive, dude. But if he stays behind that jab and continues to use that and work from behind that jab at mid-range and long-range distance and only get inside and work there when he has to, I think he has potential. Does he have the discipline or the mental makeup to want to fight that way? I don't know. But he's, he absolutely has a good jab. And there's definitely potential for improvement there. The kid's got so, some tools. He really does. Just needs to work on him, man. The hidden with a super chat. Thank you, sir. He says Smith Jr. could have knocked out Hart with more body shots. Yeah, I agree. But when you got a guy that's just trying to survive in there, you know, Smith, one thing I did notice about him in that fight, he was uh, bunching up his work too much. He was smothering his work. When he did get on the inside, he was looping shots upstairs. And I agree with you. That's when he should have ducked down to the body, right? And then he could have did one of those where you faint down to the body, you come with that looping right and land that in the side of the head. He could have set that up. Uh, I think maybe he started to see that like in the last round or two. If he would have seen that in the third or fourth round, probably could have got him out of there. All right, guys, we'll do one more question and then we'll get out of here. So we have one right here from Corey Rebbe or Como Rebbe, Como Rebbe. He says, Michael, what are your thoughts on Harvey Doc's performance in the Smith Hart fight? Thought he was extremely biased. Yeah, I thought he he just got involved too much. And I like Harvey Doc. Harvey Doc is one of my favorite young refs. I think he does a good job. For whatever reason, though, he got way too involved in that fight and should have just backed off and let those guys fight more. But it wasn't his best performance. I did notice that. It, it, and I really like Harvey Doc. I think he does a good job. He just, um, for whatever reason, made a decision to get a little too involved in that fight when he really didn't have to. There was nothing going on there that was egregious where he needed to jump in all the time. I don't know. It's just one of those um, performances. But yeah, I, I do like Harvey Doc. Oh, we got another Super Chat pledge from Carlos. He says, thoughts on Tanahara's potential? No power, but good IQ. Thanks again, Carlos, for the support. Uh, so Tanahara, I believe, is 19-0 and 0 right now. Let's look at the lightweight division, man. Um, you got Lomachenko, right? Um, 
he's probably not going to stay there. He's probably going to go down at some point. Tiafimo Lopez, win, lose, or draw against Loma. He's going up to 140. You got Devin Haney, who also fights on the zone, right? He's there at 35. How would he do against somebody like Devin Haney? Right now, I'd have to favor Haney, man. Good IQ, like you said. I just don't, I don't know if he has the tools, the strength, the power, as you mentioned, to keep Haney off of him. Uh, Javante Davis is at 35, but he's on the other side of the street. So that ain't happening. But um, honestly, man, lightweight's not that loaded right now. The The best fighters are leaving the division. I think that Devin Haney is going to pretty much clean that division out over the next few years. It depends on what some other guys in and around that division do. I like Tanahara. He's got potential, but I always, I always wonder about guys with a lack of power. You have to have respectable power in the pro game at the top level. You just have to. You know what I'm saying? Uh, if you don't, it's really going to affect and limit your possibilities at the top level. It's just a, it's just a hurt business, brother. Okay, Billy Falco. Um, uh, he asks, any news on Loma Lopez? Uh, all I know is it's probably going to be May. That's what they're talking about, guys. So that's probably coming up in May. DS Kendall's asks, Clemson or LSU? I have no idea. I don't watch college football. Let's flip a coin. Clemson. <laughs> I'll just go with Clemson. All right, we'll see what happens. All right, guys, Thursday night, we'll be right back here. All right? I'll see you then. <laughs> 